Acts 18, uh, verse 1, and we're going to look at most of Acts 18 today. So let's just jump right in. Acts 18, 1 says, after this, that is him being in Athens, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, if you're new uh, to the Bible, I think we've got a map on the screen. Nod, yes, we do. Um, Paul was proclaiming the gospel, starting in the east and moving towards the west. And you see right there in the center of the screen, he moves from one major city, Athens, over to Corinth. A couple of things that are going to be helpful, because we're not studying Acts to look at ancient cities. We're looking at Acts to see what God's doing in our city. Now, Corinth was at the center of culture in Paul's day. It was rebuilt by Julius Caesar in in B.C. 46, so it had a newness about it. Athens used to be the cultural capital, but it shifted to Corinth. They hosted the big athletic games, and theirs was the intellectual center. So it's the place that you wanted to be. Corinth was the hot spot. Very much like the Portland metro area, as I travel across the country, this is the place to be. You are living in one of the best places in the universe, whether you believe it or not. So feel good. Now, Corinth was a, a popular city, a proud city, because they, they were the known city. But it also was a perverted city. Outside, uh, and on the top of a mountain, 2,000 feet above the city, was a temple to Aphrodite, or Venus, the goddess of love. And at the temple, there were a thousand uh, female priestesses that would serve the goddess of love. And the way they served the goddess is they would go down in the city at night and they were prostitutes. And somehow in that act, as people made love to these women, abused these women actually, somehow the goddess was supposed to be appeased. So it was known as a perverted city, so much so that Corinth, or to be the Corinthian, meant to practice immorality. The word for practicing immorality had the word Corinth in it. And a slang term for a harlot was a Corinthian. So it had a reputation for being a cultural center, but having a perverted side. Now, does that not sound like where we live? Portland is a great city. And if you don't travel much, people are flocking, especially young people, to be here. Hipster is hip in Portland. Uh, Portlandia has done so much for us. I don't know if any of it's good, but it's, it's put us on the map. And so many people want to hang here, but there is a dark side to the city that we live in. You need to be reminded that of the top 50 U.S. cities, Portland ranks number one on the per capita of strip clubs per people in America. There is a strip club for every 9,500 people in our city. Vegas, which usually gets the reputation, it's one per 33,000. There's a dark side to the great place that we live in. So Corinth needs Jesus and Portland needs Jesus, right? And so we're looking at what God did as he plants this church so that we could see what God would do in our day. So let's pick it up in verse 2. There... He, Paul, met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, the emperor, had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. And Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy 
came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. We're going to look at four things this morning and then apply it, not just looking at ancient Corinth, but we want to apply this to what God's doing here and what he's doing around the world. So four things, I want you to write them down that we're going to see in the text that apply to life today. Number one, God uses every part of our story. God uses every bit of it. And so what you see is Aquila and his wife Priscilla, they're not natives to this great city. They're actually Romans, which is a long ways away. But because of their faith in Jesus and the emperor saying, Jews, which is going to include Christians, must leave Rome, uh, they move and they find themselves in Corinth. Now, now, for another reason, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they come to Corinth because they were looking to go east But the spirit of Jesus came to them and their team and said, no, plot west. And so they continued going in the trail that God was leading them. One, because the persecution goes from west to east. One, because the spirit's leading goes from east to west. The point is, God got them there. He uses every part of their story and ours. So let me ask you, how many of you, by a show of hands, are native Oregonians from the Portland metro area? Native Oregonians from the Portland metro area. Okay, look around. Okay, drop it. We'll do the reverse. How many of you from outside of here? You raise your hand. Okay. Majority of us did not uh, choose to be born anywhere because that's like your parents doing. But you did not find yourself here as a child. You ended up here for various reasons. And for most of you, it was school or work. School and work often guide. You came here for an education. You came here for a job. And I just want to remind you, that's the way... The Spirit of God gets his people doing what he wants them to do. So don't, don't say, well, God, I want to I really be a part of your plan, but I don't know what it is. If you're breathing and love Jesus, guess what? You could be right in the middle of God's plan for you by just going to school or getting a job or raising a family. God uses every part. And notice what he does. Paul already has a team, Silas and Timothy. They're not from Corinth, but God moves them there. And yet they meet this couple. So God uses every bit of it. Now, some things they had in common. Look, God uses the fact that they had the same career background. Paul was a tent maker. He worked in materials and in leather. And he he stumbles into the city. And what do you do? You look for work. He's trying to figure out what God's going to do here. He doesn't know. He has to make a living. And so Paul is not afraid to use his hands. And being in the trade, you find like-minded people. So engineers find engineers, and athletes find athletes, and accountants find accountants. And moms with little babies just bop up and down. You know, they do their thing. We all have our stage of life. And don't you find yourself attracted to people who are in the same world? That's the way life works. Well, God uses a natural thing like what they've got in common for kingdom purposes. I hope that's encouraging to you. What you love to do or what you find yourself doing, that quote-unquote dead-end job could be God's very place for you. Not because the work, which may seem unfulfilling, but because the people that he's going to connect you with. We've got to think bigger. Because we're in Jesus, he's going to use every bit of my life. But they had differences. So it's not like God only uses tent makers together. Look at the differences. Paul is single and traveling And Priscilla and Aquila are married. So he combines a single person with a married 
couple all have their different stage of life. So if you're single, there's great kingdom work. As a matter of fact, Paul has more to say about the positive side of singleness. I think we've made a little bit of a mistake that we need to correct. It says you've got to be married to be used of God. You've got to have a family or you have to have children or you have to own a home or you have to have whatever. God uses everyone at every stage. And so if you're single, don't wait like God Set me up for the moment to be useful. You are useful to Jesus right now. And if you're married, be happy. So you're like, are you serious? Yeah, you should like be, be happy. Be happy if you're single. Be happy if you're married. That wasn't a setup. It was like that you should actually thank God for what he's done in your world. And as a couple, you can combine those gifts and passions to be useful to Jesus. So, so Paul uses uh, a married couple to link arms with to do kingdom work. So the point is we're better together. So when Paul later writes to this church, uh, when he leaves, eventually he writes them a couple of letters. Three or four, but two are recorded in the Bible. And uh, just in 1 Corinthians 12, I'll put it on the screen just for time. 1 Corinthians 12 Verse 12, he gives an analogy, and I want us to catch this. He says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And I think because he planted the church with this, like, erratic team, this kind of hodgepodge team, he uses an analogy of a body. He says, for we're all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So we're part of something bigger. So now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. Now, the foot, the hand, that doesn't make any sense. But he, he continues with the analogy. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body He's kind of being foolish. You're connected and important whether you believe it or not. The hand says, man, I'd rather be the eye. The eye says, man, I'd rather be the hand. Just because you're not what you think you are doesn't mean you're disconnected or unimportant. No. He says, if the whole body was an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? The whole body's an ear. Where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, Catch this phrase. Just as he, God, wanted them to be. This is so good. God has already included you in your singleness, in your marriage, in your career, in your passions, in your native Oregonian, non-native Oregonian. He's crafted all that. He's put you here. And so you are useful and God puts people in their spot. Isn't that encouraging? To know that I don't have to be someone else. There are people who love a microphone and people who dread a microphone. And those of you who dread it are sweating right now. You just know, like, there are people who are up front. There are people who are like, no, give me the behind the scenes. There are people who like to count things. There are people who just can't count. Like, you know, just, just like, how much do you have? A bit. You know, every, every part of the body has something to offer. And so when I look at someone, I don't say, wow, what an amazing ear. I say, what an amazing person. And you are 
part of the person that belongs to Jesus. Y'all have been given the spirit. Every one of us, I actually said y'all. I don't know if you caught that. I got a friend here from Texas, so I'm trying to be culturally relevant. My friend John's here, so y'all, we're fixing to go to the next verse. All right. So we're better together. So the application's pretty simple. Every person is important. And if you have to write it down, write it down. Every person is important because if you do not function in the way God has placed you here, we are going to be deficient. There's going to be something wrong. So you're needed. And every role is important. So every person here is important and every role is important. We need one another. So God brought you here with skills and abilities and experiences. And all I am saying is because God has already gifted you, exercise that giftedness in Jesus' name. Find out the spot that matches who you are and how God created you to be and jump in. You're needed. You're a part of the body. We'll, we'll, go, back to, um, we'll go back to Acts. Let's go back, back to Acts and let's look at a couple of more verses. Verse um, 6. We end in verse 5. We'll just keep going on. There's more. So the first thing was um, that God uses every part of our story. Now, we'll pick it up in verse 6. When they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So Paul experiences some opposition. Verse 7. When Paul left the synagogue, uh, then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler in his entire household, believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were what? Baptized, just like we saw. They believed and they were baptized. A little reminder again, if you have believed in the Lord Jesus, the first response, the first thing you see here in Corinth is they are baptized. Do it. Today, don't wait another moment. In obedience to the Lordship of Jesus, be baptized. They were baptized in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians heard uh, Paul believe and were baptized. Um, So, verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I'm with you. And no one's going to attack you and harm you, because I have many People in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Second thing I want us to see is, yes, God uses every part of our story. Number two, God measures success by obedience. How do we measure success? How do we know that I'm like in line with God's will, God's agenda? Most of us, if we're honest, we measure things like numerically. So, A big church is a successful church. A small church is not as successful. Results are are done by numbers alone. Now, I'm all for numbers because every number represents a person, a life. So I'm all for more people hearing about Jesus and experiencing life in him. But if we're not careful, we'll begin to measure things in a way that God never intended. Success in the kingdom of God is a matter of obedience. It's not about tangible things only. So you can go and obey God and do exactly what he told you and see little 
tangible evidence of fruitfulness and still be on track. Is that not frustrating? It's frustrating. Because I want to see the evidence of my obedience. And sometimes Paul sees it, sometimes he doesn't. Now, where do I get that? He goes to the synagogue because Paul believes Jesus came as the Jewish Messiah, the Jewish Savior. So the first people who should hear, not because they're better, but because they get the storyline. They know the Bible. So you go to the, if you're in sales, you go to the low-hanging fruit. You go to the hot contact, the person who's already ready to buy your product. So for Paul, when he goes into a city, he's looking for Jews because Jews understand about the coming Messiah and the promise. He goes to them. What happens in Corinth? They're abusive. They don't like him. They push him away. So was Paul a failure? No, he obeys. Uh, He's obedient. He goes to where God is leading him, even though there isn't much fruit. But then God opens another door, literally the next door. <laughs> Isn't that weird? So a so guy lives next to the synagogue. They say no. And, and what a Jewish prophet would do, like Ezekiel, is they wash their hands, so to speak. They say, okay, you're not going to listen. My hands are clean. I gave you the message. Now you're going to have to deal with God. Goodbye. You know. And then he goes next door and to a God-fearer, Titius Justice, a Roman kind of name. But who's the first person to respond at the guy's house. Did you catch it? It's Crispus, who? The synagogue ruler. That's just weird. So, so synagogue meeting ends. They all leave like, get out of here, Paul. And then the leader goes like, I'm going next door. <laughs> he follows. So the first person who responds is a Jewish leader, but it doesn't happen in the synagogue. It happens in a home. So Paul changes his strategy. That's cool. That means sometimes God's leading will be an area of frustration, a season of limited fruit. Don't be discouraged. God may be setting you up for the next thing. You keep plugging away. And when God opens a new door, then you walk in. But don't leave too early. Just be faithful where God planted you. My word of encouragement to people like, I think God may be shifting me. I think God may be moving me. Well, has he made it clear? No, then stay. Stay where God has you. Be faithful where God has you. And when they kick you out, you know it's time to go. <laughs> and they kicked him out. So he goes next door and says, fooey on you. All right. So don't be discouraged by a lack of results. But also, practical application here is be open to change. God may have something fresh. And as a community, we're not changeaholics here at Sunset. But we are unafraid to flip the whole thing in a moment. Where the Spirit is moving, we're going to jump onto that. We are not going to be so regimented that, no, we've been doing this for four years. Because we have no history. Like, four whole years. Are are you saying we're going to change? I say, yes, gladly. Because when the Spirit is moving, we move with the Spirit. And that's what you see in Paul. All right, let's just keep going. Got some more. Got two more to go. Two down, two more. You doing all right? All right, cool. Because we're going anyway. While... um, uh, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in a way contrary to the law. And just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio uh, said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some serious misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and Names and your own law, settle the matter 
yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. And then a weird verse, verse 17. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader. It's like Crispus's replacement. So the crowd of Jews turned on their own leader and beat him in front of the proconsul. How's that for a church? You know, don't try it. I got people, all right? And, and I do, I have people and I know where they are. They may be packing heat, so just be careful now. Just kidding. Calm down. They are. And Galileo showed no concern whatever. So, so God is moving, right? And God's using humble obedience. He's using every bit of their life. He's using their steps of obedience. Third thing I want us to see is God does not promise an easy journey. He's there a year and a half preaching. Does the, does the grumbling and complaining from the Jewish community stop? No. It continues for a year and a half. So Paul's first kicked out of the synagogue, but then they mount an attack in public. Now you need to know that Rome is in charge and Rome only allows for legalized religion. They believe in all sorts of gods, but in order to keep control of the people, you have to be an authorized faith. You can't just start your own thing. Why? Your faith may be anti-Roman. So in order to keep the peace, they need to know who's worshiping what, and you can follow a legal... Now, Judaism, even though it believed in one God and wasn't polytheistic, was totally different than the rest of the religions, but they were allowed, they were legalized. So what they're trying to do is, this group of Jews is trying to say, Paul and his followers are not Jewish. Illegal. They're not authorized. Put them in prison for an unauthorized assembly of a religion that's not recognized by the Rome. They're trying to turn on them. So it's not easy. When God calls you to work, you shouldn't expect it to go uh, exactly according to your plans. For some reason, God doesn't stop the troublemakers. Isn't that frustrating? God, I'm following you. Will you shut them up? And God says, no. He allows difficulty in the life of the believer. So what we need to do is when we step into God's will for our lives here in the Sunset Corridor or wherever you go around the world, you just need to know Don't go in with idealized expectations. If I follow Jesus, carefree living, it's all uphill, but like on a tram. Not like I don't have to climb. It's just all uphill and all glory and all great photos and videos. Yeah, you obviously haven't been following Jesus because it's like, it's peaks and valleys. It's blessing and suffering. It's hardship and joy all at the same time. And so what God's calling them to and calling us to is radical obedience in the face of opposition. And so what do they do? Paul is so in need of encouragement that, did you remember? God shows up in a vision to Paul saying, keep preaching. Now, was Paul a wimp? No! This guy was beaten from town to town. He was left for dead after people had stoned him and they thought that it was over. Paul is as tough as it comes but it must have been so tough in Corinth that God has to say, Paul, don't, don't wimp out. I've got many people here. They're not going to harm you. Doesn't mean they're not going to come against him. In the end, do they harm Paul? No. God is faithful 
to his word. God is faithful to his promise. So actually, there's a twist of events that's really important. Galileo has to take in the courts their accusation of Paul being a part of a false religion. Do you know what Galileo says? He says, wait a minute. This is a, this is a dispute between you Jews, including Paul, and your faith and your words. Actually, what God does is important. Galileo has the right to stop the Christian movement right there in Corinth, and it's an influential city, and it will spread that Christians should stop. But actually, he says, no, the, those who follow the Jewish Messiah, they're actually part of the Jewish faith. So he gets protection, and so it's going to say in a few moments that Paul stays in that city. So yes, he goes through hardship, but God is faithful and God is working and God is going to keep his promise and you can bank on that one in your world. You may be in a, in a season of very difficult hardship. Hear this from the Lord Jesus, not from me. He is with you. Why? Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. It's not my promise. Jesus' promise to you is his presence in the good times and in the tough times. So can I just say as a friend, stick it out. Don't give up. Because Jesus is faithful to Paul and his team and he will be faithful to you. That, I just encouraged myself. <laughs> anyway, I'm having a moment with me. It's pretty awesome. Thanks for joining all right, verse, verse 18, we're almost done. And we're going to invite JP to come up and share what God's doing in Arua. So, um, so Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. And then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. And before he sailed, he had his hair cut off in Kencray because of a vow he had taken. We won't get into that this week. Random. Verse 19, they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. And he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So notice, new town. What does Paul do? He goes back to the synagogue. He doesn't give up on the Jews. He follows the plan. When they asked him to spend more time with him, he declined. But after he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed in Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. Last thing I want us to see, and this will kind of set us up to hear about what God's doing in our world and in the bigger story. Number four, write this down. God calls us to a local and global work. Third thing was God doesn't promise an easy journey. The last thing, God calls us to a local and global work. So what's happening in Corinth, catch this, is not just about Corinth. We just listed out a bunch of cities. Remember, Paul was sent by the church in Antioch because Paul was born a Jew. He had a heart and passion for the church in Jerusalem where there were more Jews following Jesus than most other places. So Paul, on the way back from his journey, he goes to Jerusalem to greet the brothers there. But Paul goes to Ephesus and then he says, I'm going to come back if it is the Lord's will. 
We've been looking for the last couple of weeks at him going to Athens and all sorts of cities. I want us to catch this. That what's happening in your world is about more than you. Not only do we live in a global society because of the internet and because of technology, and the world is flat, and there's all sorts of connectivity that we never dreamed of 20 years ago. Who would have thought that you could have tens of thousands of imaginary friends around the world via social media? Imaginary, because you don't know who most of them are. We're connected. We can see people on our screen in real time around the world. This is amazing. If you're not amazed by this, wake up. This is amazing. And so we need to know that in Jesus, the same thing is true. We are connected in big ways. I was at the hospital on Friday and, uh, and yesterday. Christian Isaacson, who's new to our community, some of you know him. He's an amazing endurance athlete. Well, he was uh, doing uh, an ultra triathlon or something to that effect. Some ridiculous sport exercise in Hawaii over Thanksgiving. Six point something mile swim followed by a 260-mile bike ride, followed by a 52-mile run. You think you got game. You don't have game. Well, he was doing it. He was on the bike ride, and he hit a pothole, took a spill. Grace of God, a truck didn't hit him. He went to the hospital there. They released him. He came here, and just things tailspin. He's got broken ribs, broken some other bone I can't pronounce up here, and blood in his lungs, and And he ended up in the hospital. Grace of God, he's alive, he's unstable, he's at OHSU now. But I'd never really talked with Chris, a Christian. I've seen him here, but not not really dialogued. So I just went in to see him, and I realized so much uh, connectivity that was there that I didn't realize was already there. Some of their good friends, um, Alan and Lisa Hotchkiss, some of you know them, are dear friends of ours, and I had no idea they're dear friends. I asked Christian, how'd you get into running like insane amounts? He's like, I was running and then I decided to do a marathon, but I didn't just want to do it. So I decided to do it for charity and raise money for God's work. And I thought, wow, that worked. So we did it again. Realized he's really good at this thing. And so for him, athletics wasn't just about athletics. It was about an opportunity to, to share Jesus so if, if you follow him on Twitter or seen any photos, it's Luke 920 is his like handle because it's the question Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you're God's Messiah. So he's unashamed. He's sponsored by Adidas. And he's like, I'm upfront with every sponsor. I run and swim and bike for Jesus. I'm like, you got guts. And he's got abs. But that's another story. All together. He's a fireman and a runner, and he loves the Lord. But I, I realized, and we started going down the list of all the connection points. We are a body, right? And so what God's doing here, just catch this, isn't just about you. What God's doing in your family isn't just about you. What God's doing in this church isn't just about us. We've got to open our eyes to the bigger story of what Jesus is doing. And this is the fun of it. You, because you're faithful to Jesus, Raising your kids in your home are making a global difference. Now, that's not a pep talk, but I think being a mom or being a stay-at-home parent is the most undervaluated but Jesus-exalted calling. 
And because you're raising little ones to love Jesus. I got all choked up. Hispanic thing. I apologize. But um, we need to remember that, that every bit's connected. So you raising someone who loves God is going to make a difference all around the world. So your work here matters. So when we call on you to do things, it's not just because like we're trying to take care of Sunset's needs because we're the most important church. No, it's because the body's connected whether you know it or not. And the body's inter- interlaced whether you believe it or not. And so the body's important. So if we're strong here, it actually makes a global difference. Which on the reverse, if we are fighting each other, if we're resisting each other, if we're ignoring each other, do you realize the church worldwide will suffer? Because if we don't stand up to our calling, other places won't receive the grace that God wants to pour out through us, right? So we need to be the people of God here so that God's people can shine worldwide. All right, now all of that was a very long setup to bring up my good friend. Come on up, JP, if you would. Uh, will you join me in welcoming? Sewava. <laughs> All right. You are doing it well these days. Sewava. Sewava. Sewava Jean Paul Chiberu. Try that one three times. All right. So, so JP, we can affectionately call him JP because that's what everyone calls him. JP, we've been talking about Corinth, which the city most of us have never been to, and that ancient city doesn't exist. But many of us have been to Arua, Uganda. Now, we've been friends for 15 years, so I'm going to pretend I don't know him. All right? Um, JP, Arua, give us a little bit about why you ended up there and, and what's happening in Arua. Tell us a little bit. Oh, actually, introduce us to your wife. She's here via media, I think. Thank you. Rose? Ah, there you go. Look at that I, smile I on that man. Her. This is... Uh, She's a wonderful woman, Rose. That's Rose. And you have uh, two children. Yes, I have Joe mm-hmm. and Rebecca. Joe is 18. Yes. Graduating from high school. Yes. You just graduated last week. Yes. And Rebecca, 14. 14. So 18 and 14-year-old. And uh, give us a little bit. You've been serving God in your native country of Uganda, but you're not from Arua. No. I'm born in Kampala. Yeah. We speak a different language. And uh, God sent us, the whole family, to Arua, where we don't speak the same language. We speak with, through English, like you have been doing here. Yeah. I also preach in English through an interpreter. It's, it's, so, uh, it, it's such a game changer because when I go to visit him, it's like, you don't know what they're saying either. So, so JP is a missionary in his own country. How many languages in Uganda? Uh, we have about 40 major languages. Yeah. And Just 70, 40, that's all. No, 70 <laughs> dialects. 70 dialects. Yeah, that's just easy. So in that small country. In a small country. So, all right, so God stirred you to go to Arua. And then you planted a church. What's God been doing at a rural community church? When you were sharing about uh, Paul leaving his area, going to another area, I really saw myself in that category. We, uh, the first challenge you will find is the culture Mm -hmm. and the language differences, and even religious establishments. So I found out that that I I found myself in that. In Arua, and uh, we find uh, there was hardship in that area. But we want to thank God that God has allowed us to be there for three years 
Now the church is growing. Maybe there are adults about 100, between 80 and 100 people. And the children between, there are 250. Oh, you think we have adult to kid ratios? <laughs> Do we have a picture? Perry, behind the magic screen, do we have a picture of... Oh, yeah, this is just part of their, their kids' church. Yes. So about a, a hundred or, or, or a little more adults, but 200 plus, 200 plus children. children come 250 children. On Sundays, as, uh, the Bible study and their church. Isn't that That's amazing? Tent. It's so good. <laughs> so good. So we'll leave it up there so you can drool and, and just awe. But, uh, okay, so the, the religious challenges, what's, the, what's a bit of the challenge to the gospel in Arua? Yeah, uh, we, I don't want to mention the, 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 the region is there, yeah. but still, uh, it's a big challenge. Yeah. In a way, people tell you that I was born in this region. I can't yes. live in this region. This is my, my religion. Yeah. And sometimes some of these people attack, the, attack those people who want to, com, to convert yeah. and tell them we shall kill you. Yeah. If you do that. So there are some traditional... He's being very kind and gracious because this is my podcast. <laughs> but there are some traditional Christian faiths that are not evangelical at all mm. that people feel connected to by birth, by tradition. And it's a hindrance because they say, I'm already this because I belong to this church. So we're not, we're not pointing fingers, but there's some who are not preaching the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's a difficult challenge to actually relate Jesus when people already think that they're saved. Yes. Um, so you went and you planted the church. Uh, is there maybe one specific story of a hardship that the Lord brought you through? Um, that is the one, the yeah. religious establishment. Yeah. But also uh, being in, a, in, in a, an area where they, you don't fellowship very well yeah. with the people. Yeah. But also financially. Yeah. Uh, we, I want to thank God that uh, the Jesus Church went with us. Yes. And uh, you have been with us, uh, sponsoring all activities that we have been doing. Yeah. And we are so happy for that, that you decided to go with us in Arua and be with us. Yeah. So you may not be aware or you're visiting, uh, 20% of the funds that come in go directly to church planting and to the poor, the widow, and the orphan. So between our church planting fund and what we call Hear the Cry, through a combination of that, uh, you helped to purchase land for the church to meet. Remember going all around the city praying for places? Some of you have visited and see the land uh, to provide a, a flat ground and tent to we worship. Have, we have a tent. We have chairs. We have the PA system. PA system. Uh, and supporting me yeah. as a person. Yeah. Uh, JP is on the Sunset staff. He's the best-looking <laughs> staff member. Sorry, Kenny. You lose, but I've, come on. I've been on the, on the staff for three, <laughs> for three years. years. I know, for three years. <laughs> I know, I know. He can't help but be suave. So, um, right, so that's a bit of the challenges. Now, moving up from, from reaching the community, children are important. So maybe talk a little bit about that. In order to reach a family, most of Uganda is under 25 years yes, old. Yes, we are young. It's a very young yeah. nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, reaching, when you want to get into a family, the best way is to befriend the child. And we actually, to have all these people coming to church, yeah. 
we first began with the children. Yes. Uh, uh, you provided the money. We, we buy, we feed these children every Sunday with porridge. So they go back and tell their parents that, you know, our church is good. Yeah. Uh, I have not done much evangelism outside, but the children bring in the parents. Yes. And also they allow us to go uh, into the, 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 their homes. Yes. If one child is sick, they call me to go for prayers so I can go and see their homes. Actually, it has opened the door yeah. for me to see those small houses where they are sleeping. It's quite amazing that you find they don't have a floor because yeah. it's, it's not cemented. They all sleep down, seven children, the boys that side, the girls that side, and yeah. then you start seeing what they are going through. It's so a terrible situation. Just dirt floors, simple homes. No, no blanket, no mattresses. No mattress. And it's, it's significant. We take it for granted. When we leave here, we're able to, to feed everyone with a muffin or a snack or coffee or tea. For a child to get something to eat at church, it's a big deal, isn't it? Yes, it it's is. It's a big deal. So thank you for just your faithfulness to give is actually interconnected every Sunday in Arua. So out of that, the vision to start a school, and, and yes, yes. that vision has already come to pass. Yes, we, we have that school. Uh, you support it. You you bought all food throughout the year. Yeah. <laughs> Last year we made a commitment. <laughs> all the students in the school every day are fed two meals, two a, meals day. a day. And we, by the grace of Jesus, were able to, to purchase that food for the whole school year. Mm. So that those kids get two meals a day, which is a blessing. It's a blessing. Now, so, so what, in that, what could we do now? Yes, so exactly. how, many, how many students in the school? Uh, 200 students. 200 students. Just started we, January, yeah, January, February, February to, of this year. To, to uh, November. They have closed the first year. Yeah. And we want to include uh, more children, maybe f- uh, 50 or 40 more children next year. So we shall have a population of 200, maybe 40 or 250 children the 250 in the school. And yeah. this one, they are, it's calling on your support. Again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's the name of the school? I love this. Uh, so the local Christian school. <laughs> <laughs> Solid Rock. Sounds like a good name, you huh? Next to the name, we kept it. He's, like, he's like, you messed with the name, we're keeping it. <laughs> Best staff member we got. <laughs> I told you, we're interconnected. <laughs> so, so what can we do now? Like, There are more students to be reached because every student represents an h- entire family. Yes, maybe two in a family or one in yeah. a family. Yeah, yes. but when you reach one or two students, there could be eight or nine in that yes. family, in family that yes. over time will be reached with the gospel because of practical love. Even the neighbors, yeah. Yeah, if you are a friend of this family, yeah. then you can be a friend to the neighbors. Yeah. Open doors. You know, every time I go, I'm there once a year, sometimes twice a year, you just see more and more kids, more and more kids. So, uh, so what, what do we want you to do? Yes. I guess we want uh, people to uh, pray, yes. right? Yeah, uh, the prayer is we are now looking at the real sponsorship of yeah. an individual child. Yeah. So that God can take these children through their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, uh, when we talk of sponsoring the children, it is true we are going to sponsor the children. And we, are, we want them to go through school, attain uh, employment, but our ultimate goal is 
to make sure that when these children are helped, we shall meet them in heaven. Yes. It's the church, we want it, uh, we want it to be church. Yeah. So we are working on sponsorship uh, to, so that we can keep a clear relationship with these children. Yes. And in the future, there will be real people who will minister to their com- uh, communities when we, for us we have gone back, but we shall see them in heaven when yeah. we reach there. Yeah, so good, so good. So I think there's just some practical takeaways. And I wanted you to meet, some of you met him before, a couple of things you should do. One, be praying now, not if God's calling you to do something towards a Ruah, because if you're a part of this church, you already are. Yes. But is there something above what you're already doing? So that could be as simple as sponsoring a child. John's here, who's the U.S. Director for Africa Renewal Ministries, and that's the ministry through which the church was helped planted, and they're a part of the Fellowship of Community Churches throughout Uganda. So we're working behind the scenes, and by March, Lord willing, we're going to present to you 150, he says 50, I I think 150 sounds better. Yes, yes. 150 students Mm -hmm. that we will see sponsored. That's just us, I'm praying. And then from there, we'll look at more, and uh, that's a commitment of some money every month that you're saying every month I'm going to give to one child to get them through school. And I want to invite the whole church to come. Yes, everyone. <laughs> the bishop has invited you to come. So you, can, you actually can. We're, our next trip leaves uh, end of July, beginning of August. We're going to spend a week in Sorota, Uganda, where yes. we've done ministry together. Mm-hmm. And JP will be with us. And then we'll spend a week in Arua doing medical clinics and evangelism and uh, the, it, right now, the application is open. Penny Stady, who leads Hear the Cry, she got all the details up. If you go to hearthecry.org, you can just click on countries or trips and then Uganda, and you can start applying as of now. Yes. And you can see Miss Rose, uh, his wife, and children when we're there next summer. Thank you. Yeah. Well, let's just give a big round of applause and thanksgiving to God. Thank you, sir. We love you, JP. We love you. Um, JP, is, JP is going to, to, as a matter of fact, don't leave it. Let's just pray for you. And JP has uh, been staying at my house. One of the honors is uh, our daughter, Alina. She's like, JP's coming, JP's coming. He's like, you're part of the family. You really are part of our family. And uh, so let's just pray. Stretch your hand out if you would. And let's pray for our, our brother and co-laborer. Just like Paul had his team, uh, JP is part of the Jesus team here. And we thank God for him. Lord, thank you that you've raised up this man and given him decades of ministry all over the country. How he's blessed so many churches. How he's planted so many churches. How he's done so many evangelistic outreaches all over Uganda and beyond. And you did it all to prepare him to plant Arua Community Church. Now, Lord, we thank you. It's your church. It's your people. Uh, This is your land, your country, and your kingdom. And we pray, God, that you would use us in a way that will encourage us, brother and sister. We pray blessing over the community of Arua Community Church and Solid Rock Christian School. We pray that over the next 5, 10, 15 years, the city will be shaken with the gospel. And people would say, Jesus did this. Not a church, but Jesus did this for Arua. We pray that it will happen quickly, Lord, in your name. Amen.